The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 45 for the week of December 11th. Alex, how are you doing this morning? Rob, did you have a little bit of a seizure there or something? What's going on? Everything okay? <laughs> well, try something new. You know, we'll try and try and boost the ratings and uh, get the Nielsen share higher. Is that how ratings work? I, I, something like that. Something yeah. like that. Well, good stuff. How's your week been? Uh, you know, it's been good. Had a company uh, Christmas deal this week. It was good times. Um, we had a gift exchange. Oh. Um, I walked away with a, an Oregon Trail uh, card game. It, I I honestly wanted it. I stole it from somebody. Yeah. It was really cool. So now you can die of dysentery. I have already died of dysentery several times this week. All right, good stuff. Well, we're just uh, a couple of weeks away from the holiday break. We're gonna we're gonna still have our our podcast through the holidays, but it'll be a little bit different, right? We'll have some some uh, unique stuff for folks coming up through there. Um, there was nothing interesting in the news this week, so let's see if we can make non news. <laughs> A little bit interesting for folks, all right? I wouldn't say that there was nothing, but there was, you know, definitely not a banner week for news. Um, first, as always, make sure to sign up for our mailing list. Go to the website, colorado-security.com. Uh, sign up at the bottom there. We'll keep you informed of things that are going on. And also, um, we'd love to have you on our Colorado Equal Security Slack channel. Yeah. So check that out too. So it's been, it's really picked up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, a lot of good conversations going there. There's job conversations, event conversations, recommendations for security companies you might want to work with. Uh, and some of us are planning a uh, kind of an informal lunch on the 18th. You got to come to the Slack channel to figure out the details on that. Sounds good. All so right. first on the list, uh, this week it was announced that uh, CHI is going to merge with Dignity Health. Yeah, Catholic Health Initiatives, which is one of the largest companies here in Colorado uh, with a very large security program led by Cheryl Rose. Uh, they're going to be merging with California-based Dignity Health to form, I think they said, one of the biggest faith-based uh, uh, healthcare systems in the, in the country. Yeah, um, it's exciting, but also a little bit disappointing. Uh, you know, I read that the headquarters is going to move... Um, well, I mean, CHI here uh, to, to Chicago. So mm. we're, I think, going to lose the headquarters of a, a fairly major company, which that is, is no good. Yeah. Ho- hopefully they keep the security stuff here and, and it doesn't impact our, our friends to the negative. Exactly. Um, another piece of news, local company news. You know, so Glassdoor is the big uh, you know, company review. There's lots of information about companies. Um, they, they have their best companies to work for list and three Colorado companies made the list. Uh, Fast Enterprises, which is a, a local company here in the Centennial Tech Center area. Um, SendGrid, IPO'd just a couple weeks ago with the CISO, Dave Campbell, a friend of ours over there. And the last one was Madwire, which I don't know, but it looks like it's a marketing company helping uh, folks there. They're mad. They're mad. They're very mad. Uh, next on the list, there was an article on the uh, the NCC. Uh, so this was in the, the Pueblo... National Cybersecurity Center. Yes, sorry, sorry. Um, this was in the, the Pueblo Chieftain. Um, some NCC folks out were doing some presentations this week. And I, I think the, the highlight of this article was a quote that was in there. Uh, and they said, cyber is the new dirt. Everything in the future is going to be built on it. So if anyone ever tells you that your job is not sexy, just pull out this quote. Because cyber is is the new dirt. Exactly. Yeah, we, won't, we don't need to attribute that quote. I don't think he wants that. Uh, next, there is a, an organization called ENISA, uh, which is a European organization, and they made some uh, recommendations for IoT security. Yeah. So and, th- go ahead. Sorry. You might think, why are we doing an article about a European organization? So uh, Mike Glenn, who is with uh, Cable Labs here in town, uh, he helped put together the report that this article is based on. Yeah. So I got had a chance to look through the report. I haven't read every word of it, but... If you're doing any implementation of IoT security, if you're putting stuff in your organization or you're help creating it, this report has a lot of great information. Um, and one of my favorite parts of it is it has a really thorough threat model, goes through what kinds of threats impact what kind of IoT devices, and then they have a list of countermeasures that you can look at that'll help mitigate those threats. So really, uh, you know, kind of hold your hand through the process. If this is something you're new to, I want to take a look at IoT security here. Yeah, it sounds like that at some point this might become part of a European standard. 
Um, so next we had a, there's a article that's a spotlight on Brett Fund. Brett is the founder and CEO over at SecureSet Academy. Uh, and this really kind of just talks about his personal life and background, which is especially interesting since we have him coming up on the show in the next couple of weeks. That is awesome. Uh, next, Webroot. Uh, surprise, surprise. 15th consecutive quarter of double-digit growth. And I just have to do a shout-out to Alex here. When I, when I quizzed him, how many quarters would it be? He, he actually got it right right off the bat. Yeah, I, I keep tabs on Webroot and their growth. So, so if this ever stops, I, I assume something apocalyptic is going on. Yes, uh, Webroot, please keep going. We need to yeah. have your, your quarterly double-digit growth. But yeah, double-digit growth every quarter for, for over almost four years now. That's, that's pretty good stuff. Uh, next, another piece of news that doesn't surprise us, but it's great news. Logarithm has made the leaders section of the Gartner Magic Quadrant for Sim yet again. Yes, congratulations to Logarithm. And interestingly, I don't know if you've if you've taken a look, but um, who I the person who I would say was the leader over the last decade has actually dropped out of leaders. Um, so ArcSight is no longer up in the upper right corner. Well, I hadn't uh, looked at that yet, but that is, I don't want to say it's surprising, but it's yeah. sort of the, I guess, end of an era, right? Yeah, it, it sure is. So the other two up in the upper right were, were IBM and Splunk. Sweet. So next we have a blog post from Red Canary talking about their atomic red team testing. Uh, this is called Catching the Dragon by the Tail. Uh, basically in this blog post, they walk through um, some research that was done by FireEye, and then they, they take the report, looked through it, uh, figured out you know some of the IOCs and other things, what, what the threat actor was doing, um, and then they they used those to make tests as part of their framework, and then um, develop detections on how to to detect those threats. So pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that what they're doing with the atomic framework is is fantastic. You know, it's it's really not not profit not for profit. It's something they're doing for the community. Um, and in fact, we're talking about having them come and do a a course around this for RMISC next year, right? Yeah, we're working through the the details at this point, but we expect to have them there. So that'll be pretty cool if you want to learn more about using the atomic framework. And, and as a you know, security leader, I'm super interested in anything that helps me better get assurance that my controls are working. And that's really where this thing goes. Exactly. Okay, so that's it for news. Um, just as a reminder, you know, go ahead and go out to iTunes, go to Google Play, do a review for us, say nice things. That helps people get to find us. That'd be great especially if they're searching for the word Colorado, um, we, we should pop up pretty close to the top of the list if we have lots of good reviews. Uh, moving over to trivia for this week. Uh, so last week's question was, uh, was what is the least expensive item in the Colorado Equal Security Store? And we had a winner. Uh, Douglas Holland uh, properly answered. There was actually two things tied. It's the it's trick a, question. It's trick a, question. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a bumper sticker and a car magnet. And so congratulations to Douglas. And thank you to Andre Gaeta for sponsoring our trivia each week. So Douglas gets to pick something from the store up to $25 value to have shipped directly to him. I'd also like to note that both of those items were $3.99. So if you want to buy something from the Colorado Equal Security Store, um, there is a very low bar to entry. Fair enough. Um, Am I, am I reading our, our next one? I think you yeah, are, Rob. I am. So, so this week we get to do something a little bit different for trivia. Uh, rather than a simple question, it's really more of a choose-your-own-adventure where, <laughs> where, where your choice, uh, there's only one right answer. Uh, so here, here, I want you to imagine that you are in the mountains. Hmm, you're in the mountains I, in Colorado. I can, I can see the scene. Yeah. You need to build a permanent shelter. You're going to be here a while. So you, you're going to select stones as your building material uh, based on based on a couple of core principles, you want a shelter that's stable and secure and you want it to make sure you're building security in at the beginning, right? You don't want to bolt it on after the fact. Ooh. So <laughs> you have a choice of sedimentary rocks. You can choose between gypsum, granite, and basalt. So those are not just the names of uh, towns in Colorado. Those are actually the rocks that grow there. Yeah, grow. Uh, so you need to choose the rock that offers the best structural integrity. So you define that by which rock... Um, is the densest. It's going to provide security versus uh, wind, rain, and all the other elements. So which rock do you choose? Which is the densest rock there? Wow. That was yeah. a, a long question, Rob. And uh, I'm glad you set the stage. So uh, I'm sure someone will be able to figure that out, but uh, we look forward to hearing all of the potential answers to that. Email us at info at colorado-security.com with your answer. With that, event news. Yes. Um, so we have events through the end of this year and then a lot of stuff popping up in February, and January and February right now. So let's go ahead and go through the rest of this year. Yeah. If you wanted to know what those events are, you could check out our event calendar uh, at colorado-security.com. But if you want us to read them to you, we'll do that as well. 
So first on the list, on the 13th, uh, CTA is doing one of their 101 series, sort of an introduction to CTA. And on, on Thursday of this week, the 14th, is the annual ISACA issa joint meeting. It's going to be at Comedy Works South. This is always a good time to get to meet a, a really large group of, of folks in the area and um, have a couple of good speakers and have, a, have some fun socializing as well. Uh, also, CTA on the 14th is doing their annual legislative outlook. So this is meeting with uh, legislators and, and other government officials to find yeah. out what's coming up on the legislative roadmap. So the, and then the last event we have on the calendar for this year is CitySec. They're, they're meeting on up north on the 21st. Um, I assume they're still meeting. It's still on the calendar. If those guys want to want to confirm and reach out, that'd be awesome. Um, but it, they did meet last week, so I assume they're still going. Yeah. Um, of course, once we are into the new year, we have a couple big events. We started mentioning those last week. Uh, the first one of those is uh, Snowfrock, and that is the annual OWASP conference happening on March 8th. And the second, of course, is the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, which is happening on the 8th, 9th, and 10th of May. And those keynotes are going to be announced very soon, I hope. I know we have some of them signed, and I don't know. I haven't, haven't got the okay to start saying names We're yet. getting close, getting yeah. close. All right, let's go ahead and jump over to jobs. There's a couple of, well, a few really interesting jobs this week. Starting off with one of them, Charles Schwab is hiring a managing director of threat management and intelligence. Wow, you get to manage Charles Schwab's intelligence. Yeah, well, Charles Schwab, you know, talk to Chuck. He knows what he's doing, right? Uh, But managing directors there are are pretty high. You know, this is a really large security organization, and and this is definitely a leadership position there at one of the bigger security companies here in town. Trustwave is hiring a supervisor for their security operations center. MBL Technologies is hiring an information systems security officer. This looks like it's on the on the government side. Uh, Deloitte is hiring an information security risk and governance analyst. Dell is hiring an infosec analyst focusing on security operations here in Denver. Wow. Uh, Cobiz Financial is hiring an information security risk analyst. So this one, this next one might be my favorite on this week. Uh, CU, University of Colorado, is hiring an assistant professor of information systems. You need to have some security chops to do this job. Nice. Uh, one that I think is also cool, a TD Ameritrade is hiring an associate counsel for privacy. And then finally, Zachley is hiring a senior director of IT who is responsible for security. Exactly. Exactly. All right, with that, that takes us to the end of the news. We have our feature interview this week with J.D. Sherry. J.D. is a local, he's a Colorado guy who's been kind of a security entrepreneur, starting up his own companies, being the CEO of another company, um, and and now chief revenue officer um, at a startup. Yeah, pretty cool. All right, with that, we'll throw it over. Thanks, Alex. Have a great week. Thanks, Rob. This is Christine Vanderpool, Deputy CISO for Kaiser Permanente. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by security professionals. All right, this is Rob Reck, and I'm here for a feature interview with J.D. Sherry, the Chief Revenue Officer for Remediant. J.D., uh, I've got to know you over the last couple of years, and uh, and I've, what I've got to see is that you have a really interesting background and uh, as a security leader, both from the, the leadership side of the business and from the security knowledge side, uh, have a lot to share. So what I want to do is to kind of start off the interview by understanding how you got to be where you are, um, obviously doing some really fun stuff with fun companies. Let's back up, right? How did you get into the industry in the first place? Thanks for having me here, Rob. Certainly uh, love the show. Um, I'm new uh, to to listening to the podcast. I think what you guys are doing are great as far as uh, raising awareness in general for Colorado security. So thanks for for that. So yeah, um, been an interesting journey with the career for sure. I've been in Colorado for about five years now. Uh, Relocated from Kansas City with my wife and and three kids. But um, uh, really what brought me to Colorado in general, I think... um, was the, this sense, and I'm a little bit late to the game, I think a lot of people before me have realized that Colorado is absolutely fantastic and <laughs> tremendous technology, and I would even say an influx of really great cybersecurity companies that are starting to grow uh, out of the front range, really, uh, from Fort Collins all the way down to Colorado Springs, for that matter. So um, really came here with an opportunity with Trend Micro. Uh, so I was at Trend Micro for nearly four years heavily focused on uh, cloud security and virtualization security. So uh, I would say um, circa 2006, I started to really get into cloud um, when I was head of technology for a company called NIC, which is in Kansas City, 
but does 20-some uh, of the 50-state uh, websites. So Colorado.gov, for example, is a wholly owned subsidiary of a company called NIC and ran technology for them for nearly seven years and really started to see this shift to cloud. When you say ran technology, what does that mean you did there? So application development, uh, infrastructure, uh, yeah. huge elements of security, including PCI uh, compliance, level okay. one compliance. Um, NIC was really an interesting company, publicly traded. Uh, they uh, really had a phenomenal business model that was um, focused on, as state taxpayers, reducing our cost to deploy really great e-government services. So, for example, as citizens of Colorado, um, we uh, maybe go online and renew our tags, you know, maybe getting hunting, hunting and fishing license or register a new company with the Secretary of State. That's done by um, efficient government, and, and this company, NIC, created a model that was of no charge to uh, to state taxpayers. Hmm. The only transaction cost associated with that is what you and I would do to to do that transaction online. So, you know, with that, you would you would imagine an infrastructure across all fifty states, some federal government uh, work as well that would need to be very resilient, robust, um, dynamic, highly segmented from shared services perspective. So that was my major charter there from a corporate technology perspective is to. Um, really drive application development, innovation. So mobile was another big piece, um, but security really became front and center there. So you, you were at NIC in Kansas City doing this 2006 timeframe, and take us forward from there. Yeah, so um, really became uh, focused on de- deploying virtualization there um, and uh, evolved really a couple of different generations of data centers to get to what I would call hybrid cloud capability. Um, and from there, um, really became focused on what Trend Micro was doing as a customer. So I was uh, one of the first 150 customers that was using their platform um, that was embedding security, typically anti-malware capability, but since then, you know, really expanded their suite into the hypervisor with VMware. As, as you know, VMware was and still is the major hypervisor player out there with, with regard to private cloud and hybrid cloud. Um, and really thought Trend was doing some really great things. So um, as I evolved um, out of NIC, I started to get more of a passion for uh, going to a, a high technology company or a security manufacturer. So crossing from a government service provider into cybersecurity was really intriguing to me. And that afforded me an opportunity to really step into a, a global role. Um, and allowed me to, to relocate really anywhere that was close to a major international airport. Mm. So I've got family in Colorado, uh, not so much in Kansas City, and we were uh, excited to, to look to move out to here. So that's really what brought me to the Denver area um, was the opportunity with Trend Micro where I traveled pretty much the globe, yeah. focused on cloud, virtualization, and what, security. what was your job for Trend Micro? Yeah, so part evangelist, uh, part product development as far as um, – soliciting feedback from all the clients that I yeah. would go on site and talk with. So, And then, as everybody mostly is, um, I was in sales from that standpoint, too. So, so did you carry a number for Trend? Yeah, on the government side, I did early days. And then from there, was part of a larger uh, uh, corporate number that fundamentally was trying to drive um, U.S. sales, right? Trend is a major player um, Really, all over the globe, primarily in Asia. Uh, that's where uh, it, it's headquartered, headquartered in Tokyo. Yeah. Um, the emphasis was tried trying to get U.S. Uh, North America in general to grow. You know their their share of marketplace versus the Semantics, the the McAfee's, those folks. The trend had been number three. They were trying to drive right. their visibility here. So, so you at NIC were a technologist, you know, helping build technology and support technology. And you made a move to a, a quite a different position, really, like you said, with a number, with you know, really externally facing. How do you make that move? What was that like? So I, that's a pretty significant move. I'm sure all the the chief information security officers and even the CIOs that are listening to your podcast know that. We're all sales people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when we have to go and position our priorities in front of our executive leadership, and in some cases, like I know you do, Rob, you go in front of the board around what you need for your budget and, and mapping that to the strategic objectives of the business, 
you have to be a salesperson yeah. from that perspective. So that was always something that uh, I really enjoyed. I, I think I was fairly successful at, especially taking very complex things, uh, you know, like next generation compute, next generation data center, cloud, trying to get people to get their arms around that and invest in that. And um, so from there, I, I had a little bit of a taste of the sales perspective and then um, just started to realize that I could go out and, and maybe be successful doing mm. that for uh, a manufacturer. That's great. So, so at Trend, you were you were doing that position for how, for how long? Uh, I was with them three and a half years, so nearly okay. four years. Um, the global role pretty significantly for a little over two and a half for the most part. Yeah. Um, and you know, loved my experience there primarily because it I got to see a transformation with um, traditional data centers and where people were going. Not only with virtualization, but you know, one of my passions now is is, is cloud, and, and that was a big role uh, for me as I kind of evolved out of trend into some of the other opportunities that we can talk about is, you know, cloud was, was and to me, you know, is the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'm getting ready to do a, a talk in Nashville uh, in a couple of weeks to talk about, uh, you know, you know, go big in the cloud or, or get owned, mm-hmm. right, or get pwned. So for the most part, um, I think organizations are, are there, they're going to move there. Uh, and having that ability to understand the security dynamic of it is going to be paramount because, um, you know, Gartner, um, their research indicates that I think by 2020, 95% of the breaches um, in the cloud will be the client's issue. Could be due to a misconfiguration, could be due to the fact that they don't understand shared responsibility. These are all things that I think... um, you know, we're getting our arms around as IT and security professionals as far as how we need to properly plan for that. Uh, but I do think that the business is outpacing us. And that's a good thing. This disruption, this transformation, this digitization of what we're doing with our business models now really is is creating a tremendous amount of economic growth, really for small, medium-sized businesses as well as large enterprises. And I think that uh, that shift fascinates me. And I think we have to be very diligent about how we consume cloud-based services from a security perspective because it, it's like running downhill. You know, you get going real fast, the, the wind blows through your hair, not so much my hair anymore, but, <laughs> but you can get out in front of your skis or get out in front of you and then you can trip and fall. I think that's what's happening with the businesses. They're driving the, the innovation, they're consuming cloud, IT and security in many cases are playing catch up. And um, I think that's going to cause some some breaches due to the fact that um, maybe the proper planning in the design lifecycle didn't. I mean, get. we've already seen a massive number of those, right? The all the S three buckets on Amazon that are, you know, that are improperly locked down, causing breaches. And uh, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but lots yeah. of different organizations, yeah. you know, AWS keys being exposed that people use to to do bad stuff. Uh, I, you know, you say Gartner estimates that it'll be 95 percent in the future, but what is it now? Is it not? It seems like it's usually the... Yeah, I mean, a lot of people I talk to say, well, that number's low, yeah. you know, because they're like, what's the 5% going to yeah. be the cloud service provider's fault, you know? Yeah, it seems, it seems a little low. Okay. Yeah. So, go, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, coming back full circle to the career, um, the, the cloud kind of being a huge um, passion and a theme for me as far as a subject matter expertise, taking those experiences of, of moving workloads to the cloud, looking at how AWS, Amazon Web Services is transforming, how uh, Microsoft Azure is transforming, and being able to then figure out the right security architecture associated with that. So to not um, slow the business down, but to make sure that you put the right wrapper around it so they can actually speed up, uh, but do it with the right uh, uh, risk mitigation uh, protocols. So um, looked at uh, a lot of different opportunities in the startup world. So I had worked at a startup way back when in Boston in, in the dot bomb era, late 90s, early 2000s. And um, I caught the, the, the bad end of the, the dot com mm-hmm. era, essentially. So, But I really enjoyed my time there. So I've, I've worked in pretty much small companies to very, very large companies like uh, Honeywell, for example. And I really loved that startup feel. So um, got talked to uh, you know, several companies uh, that, that were focused on cybersecurity, looking at um, new leaders to help kind of drive their business, whether it was on the strategy side, the sales side, technology side, right? I've kind of served in all those different kinds of roles and uh, took an opportunity with a company out of Santa Clara called Cavern that was focused again on security compliance for hybrid clouds and took a swing at my first uh, CEO position there. Yeah. Um, you know, a very, very... Um, 
exciting opportunity for me uh, in a space that um, you know continues to still be white hot security and compliance for for really hybrid cloud and uh, real great opportunity to go dive into the Bay Area run you know my own company learn the venture capital side uh, learn um, some of the dynamics of having a foreign invest foreign investor which was also very um, humbling and, and, and intuitive for me to kind of pick up on certain mm. things and really loved it. So I was there for a better part of a year. Um, and, uh, you know, fundamentally realized that I had a, a lot to learn on that front. Mm. Right. And, uh, both on what, what my role was, what a, a proper board is, uh, what an investor's role is. And, um, decided to, to move on from that mm. potential opportunity. And, and that's what brought me to a local company, which we all know in the area, uh, Optive Security, and have a tremendous amount of respect for um, the leadership at Optive. I got to know them pretty well from my days at Trend Micro. Obviously, Trend was a partner uh, at Optive, as are a gazillion other uh, you know manufacturers, right? They yeah. are the, the behemoth in the industry. And um, had a chance to, to talk with um, uh, the leadership there and, and figure out if there was an opportunity to help them grow the company because of their, um, you know, their, their recent acquisition of Fishnet over the years in Kansas City, an injection of uh, uh, private equity money with, mm-hmm. with Blackstone and really attack the cloud security space in, in earnest as they um, were trying to evolve their strategy there from a lot of on-premise activity into what really was a hybrid cloud component. So uh, worked there for a, almost a year and a half, driving the, the what, cloud security What was your business. role there? Yep. So uh, I was the general manager of our cloud security business. So yeah. really getting an understanding and a baseline of what we were doing well today, uh, maybe where we had gaps, trying to fill those gaps, not only with the proverbial people, process, and technology, but also from a uh, strategy perspective. Um, I think uh, the shift to hybrid cloud for our customers uh, there at Optive was significant, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you see that in your business every day on the identity side. And you know, we really um, valued the voice of the customer. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that that customer base is is significant. It's massive. They have a lot of different um, tools in the tool belt, for lack of a better term. And they really needed guidance on what are the right tools that they can really migrate to the cloud. We're the ones that are going to scale with them, not only from a people perspective, um, but also a, a cost and a budget perspective. How do I how do I budget for this shift to the cloud? And yeah. how do I get my arms around um, people that are already in the cloud in the business today that maybe I don't know about that? Yeah. Um, so that that's what my role was there uh, at Optive and working with all the other different lines of business to tie together. If you think about the macro component of cloud security, it touches identity. It touches incident response, right? It touches threat intelligence. Um, it touches infrastructure management you know, significantly. So that was one thing that we were really focused on across the different businesses is to get more cohesive and pre- you know present a better view for our clients around cloud. So w- were you creating... Uh, relationships with with vendors? Were you working on professional services engagements? Were you working on white papers? Like, what? Where did your work fall along the? It was it was all across the board. Yeah. In, in fact, um, you know, if you look at that, we had a research arm and uh, our good friend, you know, Raf Lowe's that was focused on driving vision around the research side of things with cloud security. So we we came out with several white papers uh, and research documents that were you know, interviewing clients, doing focus groups. So that was one segment of how we were trying to get thought leadership out to the masses. The other piece around the technology partnerships was, was huge. Um, you, know, you have a lot of uh, legacy vendors that were evolving their product roadmaps, and they want to understand what features are the clients going to want, right? What, what's driving that? Um, and then you had the, the startups, you know, that... Um, Prior to my, you know, coming to Optive, I was a partner of Optive in my in in my Cavern days, right? Yeah. Um, so those folks are maybe pushing the envelope of new, innovative, disruptive approaches that maybe fit into a larger ecosystem. So dealing with the partners and the vendors were uh, was also a big, significant piece. And then the last piece I would say was the services side, the consulting side, and. 
you know, coming at it from a cloud security centric viewpoint versus just a cloud viewpoint, because I, I bet you you can talk to many of your colleagues in the area here, even across the, the states that would say most of the consultants um, would like to come in and sell you a cloud strategy. And very rarely does that include a lot of meat and potatoes or substance, for lack of a better term, um, around the security aspects of it, mm. including the regulatory concerns, the compliance concerns, and, and how you bring that all together. And oh, by the way, how do I do that with the existing skill sets? And yeah. I really want to spend some time talking with you around the skill shortage that we continue to hear. Um, it's going to be exacerbated in some cases with cloud. And in other ways, it's going to be abstracted away. So, you know, when you think about that, they really needed to understand what is my resource, my people resource gap yeah. for consuming cloud. And I do want to talk about skill set. Before we jump over there, I want to ask you about the vendor side. Uh, you made the point earlier that you know, basically everyone needs to go big in the cloud. I don't, I don't disagree with that. But one of the negatives about that is every vendor claims feels like they need to make a claim about being a cloud provider and and how my legacy you know network appliance is perfect in the cloud right and, and I'd love to hear you just talk about that and how you look at you know what's the right partner for a, a cloud deployment between those you know mature legacy network type vendors and the, the new SaaS providers who um, maybe aren't proven out, maybe don't have the back end, and, and somewhere along the spectrum, there's probably a good fit. Yeah, um, without a doubt. I think it, a lot of this comes down to R&D. Um, not only, depending on some of the publicly traded companies, you can actually get in and look at kind of where their R&D spend is on a, on a macro level, but then can you, can you run the trail back? Uh, and I would even say, go back to 2005, 2006, did they start talking about cloud then, right? Think about it. Amazon, that's when Amazon popped up. It's yeah. greater than 10 years old now. So what cybersecurity companies were out there starting to talk about cloud then? Because then you know they were probably starting to roadmap their technology stack to start investing into an R&D in those areas, mm -hmm. knowing that the market probably wasn't there. But, but betting that it was going to be there down the road. Yeah. And, and I think if you look at, look at it now, um, you know, that marketplace is massive. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a reason why you know, Amazon's looking to build a, a second headquarters. And I would say Amazon Web Services is a significant part of why they're looking sure. to do that. Um, so that piece has been um, pretty telling. But as far as the, the, the blending of R&D and marketing, it, it is amazing. I think you bring up a very good point. We go to all the trade shows every year, whether it's RSA or Black Hat, and you're starting to see more of a cloud moniker embedded in the cybersecurity scene. And I think, you know, um, maybe the 80-20 rule where 80% of the legacy vendors are trying to come up with a cloud story. But is that six months? Is that 12 months? Or is that more like five years? Yeah. The ones that have been talking about this for five years have invested in evolving their platforms or not just creating bolt-on capabilities to yeah. what they're doing. And I think that's where performance really struggles. Um, I think that's where maybe security gaps can come in yeah. is if they don't engineer it to be cloud-centric from, from the get-go, right? Are, so. there, are there any vendors that you're willing to, to give a thumbs up to? Um, in terms of so ones who you think are doing really good stuff in the cloud, either legacy or or new generation. Vendors. Yeah, so um, I think you know if I look at where cloud access is, and you know I, I think we all know, and I believe personally, and even in my new role in a new company, that you know identity is the new perimeter, right? So if you think about extending identity out into the cloud, you have to know who has access to what, right? Sure. So. I was a, a, a big proponent of, of the cloud access security broker space, mm. right? And there's some, some really good folks that got out four or five years ago and started to innovate in there. So I, I was always a big fan of the Netscope uh, capability. And I know um, they're part of the Identity Defined Security Alliance, right, where they get where the puck's going when it yeah. comes to identity and cloud and who has access to what, right? Yeah. So that, that's a big piece. I would say um, the next generation firewall companies are starting to see they have to go quickly um, to the cloud because they're starting to see pieces of uh, 
services being rolled out that are more security centric now from AWS mm-hmm. and Azure. And, you know, it, it's they have to start creating barriers to entry on that. Um, can they? Uh, I, I think they can. Because, okay. you know, I think even AWS would be frank um, in saying it's kind of like Microsoft used to say, you know, we're going to let the partners innovate on the security side. That's changed. To say, That's right? changed too, right? Yeah. I mean, I think they they know security is a lever, and it's a big one to be effective going forward in order yeah. to grow business. So, um, so I think I think the the the, the legacy firewall companies um, have the, the the technology innovation and the in the mindset of how you know packets need to work, right? Yeah. How security needs to be embedded. What services can they fan out with? And they're taking that now to the cloud. I, I think they're late. Uh, I, I really do. I think they're um, pretty late on that front. And and that's you know that that's just going off of what um, I saw clients kind of saying. Well, what do you mean I can put a firewall in the cloud? Yeah, you, you need to put a firewall in the cloud. Amazon isn't just going to take care of it. You know, AWS yeah. is not just going to take everything care of everything the way you used to do it with segmentation in your on-premise networks. So um, I think they're starting to realize that they, they have to play catch up pretty significantly on that. And you might, you might argue that, um, you know, public numbers are starting to reflect that shift in cloud and um, you know, market dynamics are, are And it's just going to get more and more over time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get, let's move on. So you, you left Optiv uh, earlier this year, right? Would you mind talking about why you left and, and where you went? Yeah. So, um, Really loved the team. Um, getting to work with all the different practice areas within Optive was pretty special for me. Um, I hadn't been part of a, you know a large consulting organization, and obviously Optive was moving uh, heavily to a services and consulting dynamic model to really give clients additional value. Really putting the V and VAR there because you know I think if they could buy equipment, they could buy consulting, objective consulting, right. Um, from uh, you know a trusted vendor and do that from a, a, a procurement vehicle that made a lot of sense to them where they could get buying economies of scale. Mm-hmm. It's really what they were asking for for the most part. So working with the identity practice, the incident response team, our uh, MSP, our SOC, tying that cloud story all together with them so they could be more uh, embedded with their client as they start the journey was really kind of a fascinating thing for yeah. me. Um, in learning more um, through the dynamic, you know, obviously the transition in the end of uh, first part of this year um, with uh, KKR, then buying the, the so private equity firm, private equity bought the majority stake in Optive. Yep, correct. Yep, yep, correct. And you know, that's all. That's, that's all February public. time frame, I think it was. Yes. Right? Yep. Yes. Um, and you know, looking at that as a an opportunity potentially to. Uh, transition the stuff that we had kind of ginned up. I, I like to kind of be a starter on things, quite frankly. Um, and you know, once things get kind of legs and and get going, I'd like to move on to the next challenge. And that was a big thing. I think it was a good timing for me. Hmm. Uh, you know, been there almost a year and a half. Worked with the team to kind of get the the core dynamic of the strategy, looking at different areas where we needed to invest and kind of lay that plan out. Um, and. I, it, the opportunity I had with Remedian was a relationship I had with these guys for a couple of years. So hmm. this was not a foreign company to me. I had watched their growth and help uh, advise them out of stealth mode around privileged access and really was blown away at an approach that, um, quite frankly, is interesting uh, around the legacy aspect. Talk about legacy technologies. Um, the privileged access space, which you know I think is a, a great complement and a subset to the IAM space in general, but pretty pretty focused and laser focused um, with certain companies out there that I think have been using um, password vaulting as the approach mm-hmm. to try to solve these um, access problems with stolen administrator credentials. And yeah. I mean, it blows my mind that here we are with technologies that were developed in the late '90s. The number one problem, according to Verizon's breach report last year, of all the breaches that happened, I think almost 2,000 breaches, over 80% were using stolen credentials to steal right. the data. That's a problem. That's a legacy problem that's not threat intelligence, that's not 
security automation and orchestration, yeah. that's a problem that, that's not being addressed. And, yeah. you know, it, to me, I think a lot of that is due to the complexity of the legacy approach with, with vaulting solutions, primarily with our friends on the infrastructure side that just want to do their job. They want to be able to get services up. They want to maintain services and they don't want security and compliance to hinder them from, from doing their job. So these guys, uh, our, our co-founders, uh, uh, Tim Keeler and Paul Lanzi, took a crazy approach to you know, disrupting this market and saying, well, you can do it that way, but why not do it in a much more scalable and easier way for your infrastructure teams to, to roll out? And that was through their experience through breach response, uh, quite honestly, in some of the biotech jobs that they had held and then subsequently consulted in where nation state actors were stealing admin credentials, maintaining persistence in that environment for well over 100 days and moving laterally with those credentials, even where password vaults were deployed. Hmm. Uh, and they're like, this is this is asinine. A new, a new approach has to be done, and that's what we're doing at Remediate. So what's the new approach? The new approach uh, really comes at it with scale around an agentless approach where um, – there's a, a, you know, a thought where, in my opinion, if the number one attack vector is um, admin credentials being stolen to, to move laterally, coupling that with continuous monitoring. Because if you look at the SANS top 20 controls, right, the top four focus on hardware and software management, yeah. configuration management, vulnerability management, and all of those, it's best practice and recommended that you do that continuously. Because if you don't do those four, you're going to miss something, therefore somebody's going to find a way into your environment. You know what the fifth one is? Uh, Privileged access. Okay. Okay. Um, so why wouldn't you want to monitor the service accounts, uh, the uh, user accounts that are being used and stolen through phishing? That's 90% of the time. I'll fish you, Rob. I'll steal your admin credentials, and I'll maintain a foothold in your environment, and I'll just walk the environment because you've had a lot of access provisioned over time. And even people that aren't admins or aren't CISOs of an innovative you know, identity company have a lot of access in the environment that have crown jewels or PII or sensitive data to it. They don't even know they have access to it. So an attacker takes those credentials and just walks. So we're wanting to focus on a way where you can monitor that in real time, okay? All day, every day, those accounts and the service accounts to watch where privileged access has been uh, spun out to different environments, whether it's workstations or or, or servers, and, and make it you know a, a vital effort to to watch that all the time, and then also feed that data back into your governance structure from an identity management standpoint, right? So that feeds how what groups you know what rights are being provisioned, and that comes in, in tandem. And then the last piece is continuous protection at scale. So again, without an agent. Nobody wants to deploy another software component to their devices, workstations or servers, uh, and a cloud as well, to be able to do that where I can lock down access and really go to a zero trust model. Okay, yeah. you know, I think my friend John Kindervag, who's now at, at Palo Alto and was at Forrester, created the zero trust model. You have to do that for identity as well. So why not lock down machines at scale and say, hey, you can't get into that, whether you've stolen credentials or not. Unless you go through a multi-factor protocol and elevate your administrator rights if you indeed do have access to that. If you do that and you lock down and do just-in-time administration, you shut down lateral movement without question to an asset when you put it in a, a zero-trust protect mode like that, again, yeah. without an agent and at scale. And then, you know, in summary, I think the, the orchestration piece is huge. So have a robust API where you tie into programs like incident response, like insider threat, um, like user behavior analytics. If you can't have a platform tie in all that, you're, you're going to be in trouble. So that's really the disruptive approach. And then the last thing I would say is um, we don't care how many administrators you run through it. So I think where we've seen traditional legacy approaches come up short yeah. is they don't license the true scope of the organization that they need. So therefore, the reduced investment causes workarounds to traditional vaulting technologies. We say cover everything, monitor everything, and then I don't care how many third parties, internal people, you run through that uh, particular just-in-time administration piece, yeah. you're going to be able to scale that way from a total cost of ownership. So uh, if, if folks want to know more, how, how should they reach out to, to Remediant or to you? To yeah, so Remediant.com is a great way. Sure. You can schedule a, a, a demo there. Um, you know, We've got a, a really great 
a approach to this that is not just small, medium-sized businesses or large yeah. enterprise. Everybody should be doing privileged access, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, it's not just a big company problem. So, you know, the other thing I would say is, too, um, being able to quickly assess your environment without um, a lot of consulting hours associated with it, without a lot of time spent away from your normal job is critical. And I think that's where a lot of people get scared around privileged access is it's going to take me six months to roll out. So therefore they table that, they put it, you know, they put it on the back burner, but that that risk there of not doing privileged access is huge. So remedia.com schedule a demo, including a free privileged access uh, assessment that takes really a couple hours and and really uh, a non-privileged account to do it. You don't even need a privileged account to completely discern where you're, your access is, and, and we're able to showcase that for clients pretty quickly. Cool. So, what I wanted to segue into is just understanding your move, you know, personally yeah. to, to being a chief revenue officer. You know, basically the head of the sales organization there. That's that's a, yet another kind of change for you, right? So, we talk yeah. about that, how that come about, and why, and all that. Yeah, absolutely. So, if, you know, if you kind of replay where I've been um, from, you know, a practitioner uh, to, to running a you know large technology group, application software, you know, infrastructure, security. If you look at then that transition to the manufacturing side, doing a couple of stints at a large, you know, multi-billion dollar manufacturer at Trend Micro to a small manufacturer in, in a cybersecurity security startup with Cavern. Um, the one thing I felt like I didn't have, and I, I did sales in, in both of those environments, the one thing I felt like I didn't have was um, understanding the, the reseller or the, the value-added reseller space. So my, my time with Optive was very enlightening on a number of fronts, not only cross-practice, but looking at the manufacturer side from the reseller lens. Sure. And that was the area of my career I felt like I didn't have uh, enough knowledge in. Yeah. So that was very uh, helpful for me to understand what I would call the complete life cycle of of buyer to understanding manufacturer to understanding reseller yeah. and consultant. And then I think that coupled with the fact that um, you know, moving into uh, a you know a sales lead role for a startup where it's primarily technology founders, right? So um, you have uh, the the need to fill out the leadership team with somebody with sales and marketing experience, but yet um, somebody that's walked the shoes of the client, right? I've been in the roles of of a CIO and I've been in the roles of a CISO. I, I know their budget concerns. I know how they like to work with vendors because I was on that side of the table. I know, you know, how they like to consume services. So for me, jumping into um, the head of sales, marketing, channel development, professional services, that's that's really people often go, what is a chief revenue officer? Mm-hmm. It's really all of that tied into how do we make money? What feeds that? And how do we create strategy to, to enable the growth of the company, yeah. right? So, you know, we've got a clear goal where we want to focus on um, tripling the company in the next two years and then doubling the company the next three years uh, after that, essentially. Yeah. And um, I, I, think we'll, I think we'll hit it. And from my perspective, this, um, this space is pretty simple to have a conversation about. Uh, you know, privileged access, that's not complicated. You either know how to do it or you don't. Yeah. And I think it's an easier conversation from a sales perspective to have with you if I'm if I'm calling on you, Rob, versus, hey, what kind of threat intelligence feeds do you have? Or how do you bring together, not that these aren't important, I just think there's so much complexity in these larger conversations that you see at the large trade conferences that I think people are being distracted. Hmm. And all my point from a sales and marketing perspective with you know being chief revenue officer at Remedian is, let's get back to, to really the basics um, yeah. because I think we've gotten away from that. The breaches aren't going away because of that. that the, the data and the evidence is there. So let's put a strategy together where we don't get caught on the sign, you know, caught up on the shiny object syndrome and we're focusing on really the top 20 controls that we know we all need to do as security practitioners. You know, so I, I don't doubt that you can sell the product. It, the to me, the interesting challenge here has got to be building an, a team, right? You're you're going to be building a security or excuse me, a sales organization and a marketing and a professional services, and those those sound like challenges that are probably you know people spend their whole careers learning how to do that well, and yeah. um, that I assume that's got to be a big part of the challenge for you. And, and hopefully yeah, so to. you know, I, I think 
you know, it's a great question. O- over probably the last 10 years, um, you know, I've been able to meet a lot of really cool people across the globe, not, yeah. not just in Kansas, not just in Colorado, but across the globe of, you know, smart technology people like you that get the business side of it to really great salespeople that I learned a tremendous amount of the things to do and to not do mm-hmm. on the sales side. And then an area where I'm, I'm, I'm not as strong is on the marketing side and being able to meet those people that can do uh, lead gen, demand gen, and use social to really extend the outreach and lower your cost of customer acquisition, I've learned a lot from that. Um, so that network is is there. I value every one of my, my contacts, whether they're on LinkedIn or they're in my phone. It doesn't really matter. Um, being able to, to have that as a knowledge base of, hey, what would you do in this situation? Or... I've got a gap or a role that I needed, you know, need filled there. If they don't want to take it, and a lot of people are excited to figure out where we're going in this space, so I've got a lot of interest in the company, which is fantastic. Sales, marketing, engineering, all of that. But you know, more importantly is having them be able to go, you know what, I, I probably can't fill that, but I know two or three other people that probably can help you out there. Yeah. That's really the power of the network that um, – I've really enjoyed growing really over the last 10 years yeah. for sure. All right. Well, I'm gonna, I am going to take another left turn here. Um, you, you brought up the whole talent question partway through this conversation. And there's a little bit of debate out there whether people – I've heard some folks say they don't think there is a talent shortage. I personally think there is a pretty significant talent shortage. I guess I'll throw it out to you. Where, where do you think we are in terms of talent and, and the, big, the big issues we have around finding the right people to do these security jobs? Yeah. I mean, you know uh, – at these conferences, whether it's facilitating panels, um, speaking engagements, or just consuming content from the thought leaders in the industry. And those typically are coming from chief information security officers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's definitely a wide array of people that you go, wow, your, your experience, I, I don't care what your degree background is, and I think there's been a lot of debate on that recently in social media and in the news and all of that. Um, to me, it's really um, what has your experience been in, in your role? Um, and, you know, are you are you focused on the key things that truly improve the maturity of a security organization? And I think, you know, there's probably 20 percent that are pretty, pretty good. And I think that are spot on that have that title of chief information security officer. And I think there's a lot of other folks that have maybe been put in that role, Mm. maybe haven't had that experience. And, and I think, and I've been there before we, we tend to get in over our heads on certain things and and I'll admit it. Right. Is that the Peter principle? Yeah. Promoted to the point of incompetence. Yeah, that's right. But that's, but that's a part of the immaturity of our profession as well. Right. We, we, all of a sudden, we have no security departments. So call it 1990s and no security departments. Uh, you know, 2000s, hey, we need to create a security department. Who can do it? Well, that guy's run our firewalls. That's the only security tool yep. we have. Right. So he becomes the first security guy. When you look for, to hire your first security manager, where do you look? Well, you look at the security guys. Yep. So it's a firewall guys. Right. When you want to hire a CISO, where do you look? Well, you look at your security managers. And it, it, it just there's no other way that we get, get here other than uh, hiring people who did the closest job it gets us to these people who probably aren't the best fit for a CISO job. We're the first generation of CISOs right now, yep. and and we you know came from a, a background that maybe isn't ideal for being a CISO. Uh, I, I don't think it's about educational background as much as attitude and aptitude, and what, really what you're good at. Being good at a CLI, you know, programming firewall rules is not the same thing that makes you good selling to a board of directors. Right. Yeah. No. No doubt. And I, I think that's. That's where the biggest gap is. And, you know, we were just out at the Security Advisor Alliance Summit here in Denver, and it was very refreshing to me to see, you know, 80-some people in that room not talking about firewalls, not talking even about compliance frameworks, which I know a lot of times CISOs get saddled with because they're the ones that have to keep the lights on. A little bit of GDPR, Yes, (laughs) and GDPR. A little bit of GDPR. A little bit of GDPR. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. That's true. Um, But, you know, focused on how to build better teams, right? And and I think um, even the rest of the executive leadership team um, outside of the CISO should be looking to figure out how they can help enable the CISO in some of the areas where 
they need to grow mm-hmm. and, and they need to evolve their career. Um, and that's leadership training like we saw there and other, other um, summits that will let them grow outside of the business so they can go to the board and, and talk. Because I was just talking the other day with a, with a colleague and it's like, you know, we, we outlined some things for the most recent board meeting because obviously very topical things with, uh, with Experian and all the ransomware that's going on. Uh, if the CISO hasn't been at least at two board meetings in the last couple quarters, uh, I'm sure they're going to be at the next two because of, of the challenges out there that are front and center. But it's, it's putting together a strategic package of why they need to pay attention, meaning the board and the business, and why they need to invest that I think historically has been a big struggle. And, and I know I've learned a lot by going in front of boards, but if you're going in front of boards, uh, you know, for the kind of for the first time, you have to speak a completely different language to them, and it really is one of of risk. Um, not so much compliance, you know, compliance feeds into risk, but really, what is the operational risk to the business if we don't do these things, um, and how much can it impact us? Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, any any other thoughts on, on like? how we get, how we fix this skills shortage that we have, you know, what, what do we do to go from where we are today to a place where we're happier with the, the yeah, job? I mean, I'd love to see more advanced degree programs out there because as you mentioned, that wasn't a component. I would even say, you know, application developers are still lagging around security within their degree, four-year degree programs of how yeah. to really write secure code, which is a big component of what's yeah. going on out there. But seeing, you know, DU evolve their cybersecurity program. And, you know, I've, I've guess lectured at the CU School of Business in their cyber risk program, mm-hmm. you know, having more thought leaders, and I'd love to talk to you about potentially doing that someday too, going out and, and talking about our experiences and sharing that and then providing resources to them of where they can go to become better, better, better educated and strong internship programs. Mm-hmm. Let's get, let's get the, the college students in, in our companies and learning about cyber early days because, I just had one of my sales development representative who had never really even done technology sales before completely immerse them in cybersecurity sales. And, you know, he sold recruiting services before, but that is what I'm talking about. I'm I'm becoming smarter about how we sell, how we consume and how we deliver cybersecurity services. We have to start scaling that out. Um, And I think there's just going to be a tremendous amount of opportunity for people that give back to the community and that are ready to go and say, hey, that's a good degree program for me, or that's a good internship or a, um, you know, a, a, an evolution of where I can involve my career. I think it's just going to be fantastic for, for their mind, their creativity. I mean, think you have to be an abstract thinker. So I think creative arts folks and, and even you know, music and theater folks, quite honestly, yeah. if they have that abstract thinking, they can get in and they can... They can start figuring out how to solve these abstract problems that I think we have in cybersecurity. I, I say there's a place for everyone in security. It's an awfully big tent. It doesn't matter what your skill set is, but you know, from highly technical, getting into the code to do write secure code, to getting into incident response, social engineering, compliance, training, any anywhere along that whole spectrum, everyone fits, right? So if someone, I think we just need to show those paths to more people, show them the the, the the, here's the destination you can get to that's going to be a good job in security, and here's how you go from where you are today as a CIS major or a music major. You know, either way, there's a, there's a path for you, and let's let's help them find it. I think we could if we can show them how to do it, we'll get a lot more folks. Yeah, w- without a doubt. I mean, I, I think what I'd like to see have happen, and my numbers might be somewhat skewed, but I think we had an influx of attorneys back in the day where everybody wanted to go and become an attorney, I think we need to create that kind of a culture, not only from, uh, you know, job skills, fulfillment, uh, salary, you know, economics of it to where people go, hey, this is important. This is not just a matter of a company's um, cybersecurity and risk profile, but it all feeds into national security. Think about that because really we all factor into national security components as well. And I think if people can get behind you know, earning a good wage, you know, being challenged in their job, um, I think they can see a much larger picture around, yeah. you know, national security as well. I think you're right. Well, um, we're, we're over 45 minutes now. Any final questions, comments, thoughts you wanted to throw out here for the, for the listeners? Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, from my perspective, um, it's great to be in, in the Colorado cybersecurity community. I'm going to continue to get more involved. I haven't been able to be 
as we've talked before um, in the last five years, be situated here. Yeah. Uh, but but that's changing. I'm becoming much more involved. They're in They're not going to make you community. move out to California. No, no. Yeah. So we are headquartered in San Francisco. That's yeah. true. But um, we'd love to get a you know a larger sales office here in the in the Colorado Boulder area. So. Well, if you're looking to hire people in, in Colorado, send me the job description. We'll get it on the show. We'll send. We'll get you some candidates sent over. Perfect. I All think right. That sounds great. Thanks a Jay, lot. This Rob. is good. We're looking forward to hearing more about how it goes over there at Remediant, and we'll check in with you next year. Awesome. Thanks. All right, thanks. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.